Okay, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Sarah has this look on her face right now that she's like really intrigued about something. What do you think? You want to kick us off, honey? So, new chapter. Lesson 12, the second death. And I'm telling you, it seems like we have been in these chapters called like the lake of fire, the second death, the death of the wicked for quite some time. Kill me already. Exactly, right? It gets heavy in the middle of this book. But I promise that this is a really amazing chapter and it gets better from here. Uh, anybody get a chance to read it ahead of time before we jump into it, get some good ideas? Got a little bit in. That's all right. Not very far. That's all right. I think this is one we're going to take our time through. Okay. I think we're going to go slow through this one. Like, even if it takes us three three sessions to get through it, like, just because it's, I think there's a lot in here that we need to just take our time to process through. So, so let's just open with the first paragraph. In this lesson, we conclude our study of the final end of the wicked and how God is involved in that. Knowing the truth about this subject is critical to our understanding of what God is like. As we proceed, keep these two verses in mind. Job 4.17, can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? In Isaiah 55.8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, fourth paragraph down there, he starts making this case. Many times we've been guilty of trying to make God more like us rather than us trying to be more like him. What do you think of that sentence? Sure. Yeah. Say more about that. It makes me think of the, the laws of man stuff. Like laws, like legal things getting in the way of understanding God's justice. Yeah. Yeah. Further down the same paragraph, he, he goes a little bit more. We picture him as a mortal man getting angry and venting his anger by lashing out and inflicting punishment on the object of his wrath, as men do. Yeah. That's because we can relate to what we know, and we don't know what we don't know. You know what I mean? I mean, if you're not reading the Bible and trying to understand, you know, I think we have a better understanding because we do read it, but we really don't know it, you know? We've yeah. never seen it. How many you know? people will read their Bibles and that's exactly the view that they walk away with after reading the Bible? Mm -hmm. right? So it boils down to the question, what law lens are you interpreting the right. Bible through? And also what people hear from other people. True. Like, you know, oh, yeah, God's punishing you for doing this and doing that. It's like, you know. So let's jump down to the next paragraph. Author says, let's go back to the cross and let's ask some questions and let's find some answers. When Jesus was being treated so cruelly, how did Jesus react? Because remember, Jesus is God, right? Mm -hmm. So how did Jesus react when he was being treated cruelly? Right? They're torturing him. They're hurting him. He didn't do anything wrong. Did Jesus have the right to retaliate? 
Yes. 100%. Did he have the right to protect himself? 100%. Yes. Did he have the right to defend himself? Yes. 100%. But did he? No, he did not. He forgave them. He forgave them all. Because he knew that that Satan was, was actually the one working against him, not the people. But more importantly, though, what we can understand about God's character is he forgave them and no one repented. Like, that's a key piece, though, that we got to like not overlook. Like, nobody asked for forgiveness. Nobody said they were sorry. And God still said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But all of us here have grown up in the churches being told that God won't forgive you unless you ask for forgiveness. Also, though, some of these people were doing their job. Very good point, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. They were doing their job. Yeah. Roman soldier was commanded to... You're right. Yeah. An executioner, his job, or her job, or their job, excuse me, um, is to initiate, you know, the death penalty where it's, where it's legal. That's their job. I mean, even, even Pilate knew that Christ was not guilty, you know, he, he wasn't guilty of anything. He, he knew that he didn't do, that Christ didn't do anything to warrant that. So he but was yet, trying to avoid uprisings on either side. Right, but yeah, he allowed the process to go on. He washed his hands and he's just as guilty as the people that actually crucified him. Was he guilty, or was he just trying to not have a? Well, we talked. It's a deep, different conversation. But he, he he didn't have a choice in the matter. He didn't have a choice. Well, he did, but unless it was for personal gain. But he had to keep. He didn't want the Romans and the and the Jews getting into an upheaval because it would have been a lot worse. So tie that back in. Tie that back in here to the lesson we're we're, we're moving on here talking about how how the churches have taken this view of God and misapplied it to the idea of the second death, hell, all of that. Right? So the conversation, like here on page 153, the top paragraph, the fact of how God reacted or responded at his death and how he treated people is, you know, Satan did a really good job of turning everyone's attention away from that and misrepresenting that. Was overlooked by the church's teaching of the eternal torments of hell, right? Which we all know people like this has turned more people against God. There's more atheists that are atheists because they're like, it's eternal torment, eternal burning in hell, the death yeah. of the wicked. They are they're they're rationally thinking people, but there's still not the truth there, right? Because if you exchange the lie for another lie, you're you're still believing a lie. Right? Because the other lies, there is no God. But, <laughs> they're, at least they're not s choosing to believe something that just really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, some, some of the teachings are actually pushing people away. Okay. Is that, well, I don't want to worship a God that's going to, you know, smite me. You know, uh, put you you know, in, in hell forever or whatever, or torment you forever. 
I, I don't want to follow some, somebody like that. Yeah, and then the opposite side of that is you have people who believe that, who are Christians, mm-hmm. who love the Lord, mm-hmm. who get angry if you tell them differently. They do. They're angry. No, yep. they, they, I've been good all my life, you know, yep. and, and this person's been bad all this life, and this was, you know, this was supposed to happen, yep. and you know what I mean? And it's yep. just, it's kind of, it takes you back. Yeah, yeah, because that fundamental law model, they view God as authoritarian dictator, mm-hmm. so in their mind, justice requires that. And so if you tell them that that's not the way it is, then yeah. The last, the last sentence there of the same paragraph we're talking about was really, really good, that most Christians believe in eternal hell when in fact God's great desire is that our relationship with him be prompted from a heart of understanding and love, not superstition, ignorance, and fear. There, you know, there is no, there is no understanding and love when you're under compulsion to believe something or, or pick a side or choose something. Like there's a, there's a quote that's pretty neat. It's like, what does it go like? Uh, he who is convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Something like that. Well, I think like a lot of times we're, you know, a lot of people have been taught that forgiveness is something that has to happen between you know, you and the other person that, you know, I'm in this situation, right? Like, we have to do something to receive that forgiveness. Mm. But ultimately, I think that the issue is that people aren't understanding that really, you know, Jesus forgiving those people who tortured him and, you know, ended up, you know, ultimately killing him has nothing to do with them or what they did or didn't do. That's within his own heart. Right. And so the same goes for anybody else, right? Like, we don't have to do anything to earn his forgiveness. He gives it freely before we even need it, right? right? So, like, if, if you take that thought process, then, you know, what he did has nothing to do with us earning Right, like his his death has nothing to do with covering anything or right. creating a space to have forgiveness offered. Right. It was there before all of that. Yeah. Uh, can I volunteer to read First John four sixteen through eighteen? That's the passage that we're getting into talking about love here. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides. In God and God in him love has been perfected among us in this that we might have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment but he who fears is not being made perfect in love so angel when you read that passage like what jumps out at you now. That God is love. That's all he had. God has has no um, God has always been love. Mm -hmm. You know, 
just just as, as human get mad and you know God doesn't get mad he just he wants the best for you so you know I, I want to go back again as, as a parent yes you know mm -hmm. your kid does something wrong you know you, you love your kid yeah. you're always gonna love them, no matter how many times he misbehaves you know is you're always gonna love So dropping down there, the paragraph right under our passage that Angel just read. The truth is that fear will actually produce the character of a rebel. Agree, disagree? I could see that. Mm, I can't say absolutely, but I definitely could see that. Well, let's read the next sentence, Seth, right? We see that in young people who are anxious to leave home because of the constant fear of rigid discipline or painful punishment from the overbearing parents. Talking about parenting. Hashtag my family growing up. <laughs> right? And then there's a lot of adults in the room who are shaking their head going, yeah. Sure. Well, the hashtag makes me think, was I overbearing? Ooh. Yeah. Great self-awareness. Yeah. Know? Yeah. No, I would say that. Define overbearing. <laughs> yeah, fear of punishment may make a person behave in certain ways, right? But fear will not produce love and respect. Only resentment and rebellion. I think he gives the wrong reasons. Say again? I think he gives the wrong reasons for obeying. If you teach the person who's supposed to be obeying the real reasons why they're supposed to be obeying, then it will work better than just scaring them and do it. You're exactly right. Because once they find out they can do something without something terrible happening to them, then why not? Right. Well, that's not the real world, though. Most of the times, like, kids grow up with, uh, like, really strict parents, and, you know, they actually... Parents get respected because of fear from their children instead of, like, being loving parents being compassionate and being compassionate and say hey um, you know I don't I don't want you to do this because this is what's gonna happen you know and, and, and I'm trying to teach you something if you if you talk to your child you know not like hey no you're gonna do this right. if you don't do this I'll get the chancleta and you know <laughs> I don't mean to jump yeah. forward, but, you know, for a second, uh, you, you have to understand that, you know, discipline, punishment, or chastening. Chastening is where you're teaching your child the right way to do things and, and the proper way. And, you know, sometimes you do have to discipline, but you're not punishing. Um, but well, why don't you go ahead and read number one in that paragraph, because that's right where we're going. Great segue. So, but, um, punishment used as a means of justice. That what you're about? Yeah, go ahead and read that. That's where we're exactly going with the lesson where you just started. So take us through there. According to the English dictionary over the years, the definition of justice has changed from rightness to retaliation. Justice is understood as giving a person what society feels they deserve for misdeeds or violations of the law. Mm. In this evil world, there's a place for that. But at the same time, there are laws against cruel and unusual punishment or even the worst, uh, even, uh, um, of even the worst criminals. There are also laws against parents exerting excessive punishment upon children. So, what was the, what was the, don't love back. Is there an animal? Is underneath your I got a cat under my rocking chair. Mm -hmm. 
Oh my goodness. Gee, you are in a bad spot. Get boy. Um, what do you think of like how that definition of the word has changed, right? Went from rightness to retaliation. Interesting. And yet, many people believe that a loving Heavenly Father will torture his disobedient children for eternity for a brief lifetime of sin. That makes perfect sense. Uh, you know, rightness, and I'm going to back up for a quick sure. second. Rightness and retaliation, you know, you can tie the two words together and mean the same thing. We're going to make it right because of what that person did. I'm not following. So, somebody who breaks your car window, I'm, I'm going to retaliate. Um, see, I think, you know, you have justice in the mob thinking or you have justice in the proper thinking. I think in the mob thinking is more retaliation, but they're also saying we're going to make it right for what they did to my car window. We're going to, we're going to make it right. We're going to make that person pay for what they did. So, they're making it right. An eye for so, an eye. Huh? Retribution. Is that what you're trying to say? Or, or retaliation. No, we're going to retaliate. We're going to make it right. We're going to make the situation right for that family. Look what happened to Seth's car window. Um, we're going to make it right by attacking and doing whatever to those people. So we made it right for you, man. We took care of it. It's right now. Everything's okay now. So, so I hear what you're saying, right? So that so, is the... So right and retaliation could be the same thing. So from a, man, a man's perspective... A broken, sinless, fallen world perspective—that makes sense because you're, you're, in essence, you know, causing harm to to make it right because of the harm that was caused, right? But to take that, and, and this goes back to the first sentence of this study, you know, we take that view and then we put it on God and say that's how God is too, and so that's what's really amazing about the truth about God is He's not like that, and He calls us to not be like that. And there, before we get into the second point about the punishment is usually used in two ways, category that we're talking about, there at the bottom of the top paragraph, inflicting pain upon a person for no other purpose than to make them pay, right? That, that's kind of what you're talking about, Joe. For their past actions is not justice, it is torture. And that's what a lot of people view God like that. Like, God is to make them pay. There's a lot of Christians who, you know, we've learned a lot about the millennium. We're going to talk about it more here, too. When the New Jerusalem's back on earth, they're in the city, they're looking out. There's a lot of Christians who take great satisfaction with the idea that one day I'm going to be in heaven and I'm going to look out there and I'm going to watch you get what you deserve. Well, see, in the heart, it's not in the right place. Yeah. But that's, but you're exactly right. But that's the God they worship. That's how God is. That's their view. That's how they teach it. And so when you come here and you say, "What well, eternal burning hell, and you start talking about these truths, they get so angry because they're, they haven't forgiven that person. They can't wait. They're going to get what they deserve. So I have a question. So is, would, that be as, would that be equal to somebody who doesn't believe at all? Like, would that be just as bad, someone who's heart is not in the right place like that 
would that be just as bad as being someone who doesn't want to believe and like doesn't believe there's a god because you know there's no fear factor at all because he doesn't believe kind of thing that'd be would that be worse or would that be pretty much the same i don't know i know it's like a kind of a tricky question but like be like kind of pick your poison kind of thing so if just so you're looking at what you're asking is kind of what I'm hearing you say is kind of the consequences of a situation, right? So does one person believe that getting kicked in the head by a horse could kill them? And one person believes that horses don't kick. Yeah, pretty much. The result is yeah. still the same when you get kicked in the head by a horse. Right. Right? Whether you believe okay. horses kick or not. That's a pretty good analogy. Right? I do that. It was quick. I like it. Good nice. job. Good job. So, <laughs> so that's, that's what I think with that. But I think only a fool would not believe that. Rightly so. And it's so easy. It's it's easy for us to say that because when you look at, you know, people believe the earth is round and there are some people who believe the earth is still flat. Yeah. But then you got to remember people's journeys are different. That's there right. may be reasons that an individual may believe there is no God. Yeah. That they may be tender-hearted. They may have the essence of what you know, and I think we do as humans have that connection, a heart, uh, you know, have love, but have decided against it because of this situation, this situation, this happened, this happened. And if that's how it is, then I can't believe in that, you know, and it's, you know what I mean? It, it doesn't mean that person's a bad person. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's many yeah, there's people who walk around that don't either don't know if they believe in God or, you know what I mean, because of things they've heard or, or whatever or, or things taking place. And it doesn't make them bad people. It just they don't understand yet. There's going to be or, an, an amazing connection know? here at the end of this lesson that ties into exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. When he's, when, and we're not going to jump that far ahead, but I think we're going to get some good answers as to the idea. And it has to do with character, mm -hmm. right? It, it's revolving around the idea of character. So let's move forward here on number two. Punishment uses a tool... In discipline and training we just talked about punishment being used as a means of justice so how about punishment used as a tool in discipline or training um Sarah do you want to read that paragraph for us a loving responsible parent does not punish a child to bring him to justice or to give him what he deserves but when other methods of corrective training have failed the responsible parent punishes the child in appropriate ways to teach them that certain types of conduct will result in unpleasant circumstances Consequences. Yeah. The Bible speaks about this. Right. So, and we've all grown up in families where this has taken place, and there are those of us who have grown up in families where the parent punished as a means of getting him what he deserves. That is a result of a broken, sinful world. Hurt people hurt people. Right? Hurt people hurt people. And so a loving parent would punish and discipline not to hurt you, but to teach. Right? But a parent who's motivated by fear and selfishness would hurt you to hurt you. Yeah, unfortunately, there's a lot of cultures, even the Latin culture, that yeah, punishes. I mean, pretty much. Because I, I went through it when I was a kid. Yeah, that's actually when that wasn't discipline. That's more. Like, that's right. It was torture. It's abuse. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So there's a magic word there too, culture. Yeah. 
That's mm -hmm. a magic word. Mm. Are they wrong? Yes. Ask most people in that culture, are they wrong? Coming from that culture, yeah, I would say yes. Okay, but people who are living within that culture and still abiding by what the culture has taught them, are they wrong? So tie that back into what we're talking about here in this lesson about God's idea of punishment being to cause harm, to get what he deserves, or to use as a teaching tool. So Hebrews 12, 6 through 11. So how do we tie that at evening about culture? How different cultures use different disciplinary or punishment methods to tie that back. Methods, thank you, Seth, to tie that back in. What is God's culture when it comes to punishment or discipline? Like wrong is wrong. Like in Roman times, they hung people on crosses as their form of, you know, justice, right? Like wrong is wrong. <laughs> like it doesn't matter what culture you're in. Um, Last week at Corporate Gathering, I talked about uh, a shame-based culture and the Budisho of Japanese. You know, it was their culture that if you were perceived as being a coward that you had to commit ritual suicide as a form of punishment so right so how what's god's culture hebrews 12 6 through 11 for whom the lord loves he chastens fancy word for punishment or discipline and scourges every son whom he receives if you endure chastening god deals with you as with sons for what son is there from whom a father does not chasten but if you are without chastening of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So it's making a connection here, right? There's two. There's a connection between the way our fathers or our parents correct us for a little bit, whichever way they seem best, and how God corrects us for a lifetime for the purpose of be partakers of his holiness. Holiness is an aspect of God's character. The purpose of the chastening, which is the Greek word used here, it means training children. Think about that. Training children. Spoken of in this text is to produce the peaceable fruits of righteousness. That is, produce right behavior that is a result from a right character. What's the fruits of the Spirit? Best, the best that people can come up with. Fruits of the Spirit are... Love, joy, peace, gentleness, faithfulness, patience, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. So Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is making the case that when God disciplines you or punishes you or corrects you, it's for the benefit to produce the fruits of the Spirit in you. Refinement of your character. It has nothing to do with getting mad or getting even or... You're getting what you deserve. I'm tired of you. Smack. Be quiet. You're annoying. Right? Would you say it's like a greater good thing? Huh? Would you say it's like for the greater good kind of thing? Of who? 
for you and others. So like when he corrects us. Like would it be not just for us necessarily? I mean like like it is, but the thing is we're not like the only you know, we're I wouldn't call myself special or some kind of pair <coughs> some kind of you know, chosen one or anything like that, but you get what I'm trying to say, like to benefit because it would it would make more sense that if I was going to be corrected that not only would it benefit me but it would benefit others too you know what I mean in the long in the long scheme of things would you say that what do you guys think about that's that that's the case I mean if if God is as smart as we think he is <laughs> I think that that's how you work it out you know I don't know That's a great question. What do you guys think? Does God correct us for our benefit alone, or does he correct us for our benefit and others' benefit, right? That's what I'm hearing you ask. You want to say others because you're trying to lead by example. I agree 100 with You have influence over people. People watch you. Right. You are a leader. We are all leaders. People follow us. So for God to correct us, to refine our character means those who watch us, what we're modeling, will benefit them as well. So it's for it's a greater good kind of thing. Hundred percent, I would agree to that. That's cool. I think if you believe in the Old Testament, like those stories where, remember the story where the the people were carrying the Ark of the Covenant and it fell over and the guy tried to catch it yeah. and he just died. Yeah. I think if you believe in that, that that kind of story happened literally, then you have to believe in the greater good kind of. In that context. Yeah. Get you? Because obviously him dying had no benefit to his life. So let's connect this here to a really good point. And I think all of us need to really hone in on this and internalize this, this question. Because when you're talking with someone who believes in a God that will eternally burn you in hell if you're a sinner, getting them to this understanding of God's character, love, what is the purpose of punishment or discipline, then this next piece is really, really important. Uh, top paragraph 155. But if God subjects the wicked to painful suffering after the final judgment, which people who believe in eternal burning hell believe that this happens after the final judgment. We will all agree with that. Aware that they are hardened in their sin and will not change, what purpose would that serve other than saying to the rest of the universe, if you disobey me, this is what I will do to you then the motive for obeying and loving God would be the fear of what he will do to us if we don't do as he wishes, and to God that is unacceptable. Point being, if punishment and discipline is for the refinement and building up of your character, as we're learning in the Bible, then what good, what is the purpose, if after the judgment, you're all, people are hardened in your hearts? It's, it's, it is reality that you are a rebel you're not interested in refinement in your character then what would be the purpose of god doing any any form of corrective action in your life there wouldn't be a purpose i mean not for that exactly because they're decided in their ways exactly so for 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 people to say well that's the punishment they deserve well what's the purpose then it's not to teach them. They're unteachable. 
right? That kind of exposes the character that of the God that they're following in that idea. That's good. I like that. I think it's the final act of kindness. Simply because those people who have chosen not to want to be, um, you know, with God, right? Um, it would be unkind, incredibly unkind, to force them to live forever, right? Like with Him, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's also unkind to torture them forever, right? But you have to end it somehow, right? So the they, they have to end in some manner, otherwise that's uh, that's torturing them to be in a situation that they didn't want to be in in the first place. So I think that it's the ultimate final act of being kind to those people who didn't want to be with him anyhow. And the lesson really points it out here, you know, later on toward the end when he kind of ties that in. Like he really does point that out. And, um, yeah. Yeah, give, give, uh, letting them reap what they saw. Well, yeah. but, and then that would also, like that idea would also for the betterment of all of those who are watching mm -hmm. right because yeah. you know at that point like we would I think understand that he's actually doing what is in the best interest of those people who didn't choose him mm -hmm. yeah um, Can I add something to that? yeah of course I think that it works out and like you see that in like other relationships too like the parents and children you know, letting them, letting them go out into the world and possibly suffer and stuff like that's, it's a courageous act, <clears throat> and it's an act of love because the thing is they have to be able to survive in the world, and they have to learn to do that independently from their parents. Because love requires freedom. Right. Hundred percent. Love requires freedom, well, and God is love. And you know, and, and I agree with that as well. And. Um, you know, in that time when the New Jerusalem comes down and everything is going to change, the 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 world will be. Uh, it will no longer be able to to hold sin. Mm. It, you know what I mean? It won't because it's going to change. That's fine. It's going to change, yeah. and so they won't be able to survive because they won't be able to fit in with the changes and it's not he's not choosing that for them you got to remember they chose it for themselves that's right that's right yeah and um we'll probably kind of close up here for today and, and we'll pick it up next week as we keep going but to to your point lola the idea of the the change that takes place is god's presence is here on earth yes yes and and God's presence is the source of life. And if people have rejected the source of life their whole their whole life essentially to the point where they're hardened against it, then the only the only result is death. As, as a consequence of that. So why don't we draw a line across that page? Uh, page one fifty five there. And next week we'll pick it up we'll pick it up there. And we're going to start talking a lot more about um, 
a little bit about God's wrath, and then the idea of, we're going to go through a bunch of scripture verses here that talk about people's characters, what they're reaping, the result of it, what does God do to the wicked people, just to kind of get a, a much greater context to, to some of these things. And then, um, I'm not sure if we'll finish it up next week or not, because there's there's a whole lot more really good stuff to get out of it, but we'll try. We'll try from there, okay? Okay, well, let's pray. God, we just, we're amazed at the truth of who you are. And when we understand these concepts um, through the lens of design law and that your character is one of creator, healer, then we can easily understand that your purpose is to try to save, to restore, to heal. And because love requires freedom, then the only thing you can do to a person or a nation or a, a world that is hardened against you is to just let them go. And as we're starting to kind of wrap up this whole big discussion and kind of connect all these pieces, Lord, we just ask that um, the, the things that we're learning about you not only will change our characters, but that it will help us to um, minister to and talk to and share the truth with other people that we love and that we come in contact with who believe these things about you that really aren't true. As we enjoy this Sabbath and as we eat lunch here later, we just pray for your Spirit's guidance and blessing over us in your name. Amen.